The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We are in desperate, desperate condition. Some of you are depressed and discouraged because your favorite candidate did not win the election, or some of you are in a state of 
okay, I can go back to sleep because my favorite politician did win the election. Who won the election really does not matter in terms of where you are with Jesus Christ. Politicians are not our saviors. Parties are not our saviors. We must come back to a new beginning of obedience to God. There must be a new start in America. There must be an awakening in America to personal integrity, to personal agenda. It must begin with a deep repentance, a breaking down of your heart, a forsaking of sin. But that deep repentance is not going to happen automatically. There are things you need to do if you are going to have a new beginning with God. One man I know, his hobby is listening to sermons, listens to sermon after sermon through the week while he gets drunk. It's his hobby. God is his hobby. There's no change in behavior. There's no honest, serious repentance and giving up of his wickedness. What should this man expect to get from Jesus? There must come a breaking down of your heart. There must come an utter forsaking of all sin. But before you can forsake your sin, you have to identify what that sin is, and you have to recognize the behavior patterns and the words, the lies, the bitterness, the cheating. You must recognize what the sin is. If your heart is hard, preaching is dangerous for you. If your heart is hard, preaching is dangerous for you if it does not pry up, plow open the true condition of your heart. If you continually listen to sermons that encourage you in believing that you're saved in spite of your sin, if you continue to go to church and listen to the entertainment and watch the show, if you continue going to church and submerging yourself in the pleasantness of the social aroma of the church, you are in grave danger. For a hard heart is never broken by the preaching of a comforting word. A hard heart is never cleansed and brought to repentance by a lukewarm sermon. You need the fire of God to come into your heart. You need the passion of your soul to turn toward God, to turn toward Jesus and say, there must be a change in my life. I cannot continue doing this. I cannot continue lying. I cannot continue stealing, taking things at work that don't belong to you, taking time at work that doesn't belong to you, getting by with what you can get by with. 
I heard about one man who's constantly playing his video games instead of doing a faithful day's work for which he's being paid. Or another man who's just walking around and visiting all of the other people and laughing and joking and disturbing them, all the time getting paid. Such uncleanness. Another man who constantly is going to pornography, even at work, imagining all kinds of wickedness, lust rising in his heart. This must change. But it will not change until we identify the behaviors that we are participating in that cause us to grieve the Holy Spirit from our heart and from our life. You cannot just coast along. As one man said to me yesterday, as I went to his office and spoke with him, he said, I'm coasting. And before I could speak, he said, I know what you're going to say to me, Pastor. If I'm coasting, I'm going downhill. You can't coast without going downhill. I said, yes. And at the bottom of the hill is hell. You cannot coast. And many of you, please, I don't mean to offend you, but many of you have been coasting. You've been enjoying the music. You've been enjoying the show. You've been enjoying your life. But you have not been focused on Jesus. And you've not allowed the Holy Spirit to search you, to uncover the darkness. You have not spent your time and your energy reading the Scriptures and, and praying and asking God to reveal to you the depths of your heart that you could once and for all turn aside from all wickedness. You have believed the lies that you can just live your normal life and pursue your no normal things, even as the pagans do, and that you're a good person and you're on your way to heaven, that your positive thinking somehow equates to being righteous. What a lie. Some of you so desperately grasp onto the wickedness of Calvinism and once saved, always saved. And I can tell you why, because it lets you avoid doing the deep heart-searching work that you need to do, and it doesn't make you uncomfortable. In fact, it puts you to sleep. And so you don't have to worry about being righteous because you say, Jesus' righteousness is mine, and I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm going to fly away. Oh, some will fly away to hell. And only a few will fly away to heaven. There will be few who enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because of hard hearts. If you want to break up the hardness of your heart, you must begin by looking very carefully at your life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. As one young man said to me, Pastor, I can't go to the club life anymore because at the club life, every unclean thing rushes into my heart and my mind. I can't go to the strip joints anymore because I'm going to get into uncleanness and I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit from my heart and the presence of God will leave me. 
What am I going to do if the presence of God leaves me? I'll have no hope. I'll be cast out of the kingdom of heaven. I will not have the blessing of Jesus in my heart. Please, do you understand? You're going to have to look very carefully at your life. The primary focus of your heart and of your reasoning faculties must be focused on, am I walking with Jesus or am I walking with the devil? Now get honest with me. Should I even preach to you or is this a great danger to your heart because you find some comfort in my preaching in the midst of your sin? What grief that would bring to my soul. I want there to be no area of comfort for you as long as you walk in your wickedness. I want you to walk clean in Jesus. I want for you a new beginning in obedience to Jesus. I want you to look at this time as an opportunity to start over with Jesus. A time when you're ready to say to Jesus, I will put down my weapons. One man I grieve over because he has a secret life. He has a church life and he has a secret life. And in his secret life, he walks in fornication, in uncleanness. In his secret life, he is ungodly. But to everyone who knows him, he's a very godly man, sacrificing for the kingdom of Jesus, a part of the church. But he has a hidden life. Now be honest with me. Do you have a secret hidden life? Are you living a double life? Are you calling yourself a Christian? And then walking in ways that you know are against the the Lord Jesus Christ. How long has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you and struggling with you and you've been resisting and and hanging on to those favorite things in your heart and in your life. May I be very, very plain with you today? I want one thing. I want union with Jesus Christ. I want union with Jesus Christ. I want to read for you some passages of Scripture that talk about this union and what's necessary to be in union with Jesus. Now, this is going to go directly against much of what you've been taught. It went directly against what I had been taught and what I had preached. Now, I used to preach that justification that it was legal and that Jesus did a finished work at the cross and he covered my sins 
and I gave myself permission to walk in all manner of sin, secret and hidden, but it was sin, as a pastor. And then the Lord began to deal with my heart and say, if you continue this, I will leave you. He said, read my word. And I began to read the scriptures, and what I found in the scriptures was totally contrary to what I was was preaching Sunday by Sunday. I had bought the lie that Jesus did a finished work at the cross. Now, there's truth and a lie in that. He finished at the cross the work of providing the high priestly atonement, the provision for me to be made righteous. But he did not make me righteous at the cross. He only provided the opportunity for me to become righteous. So I taught that lie. And I have repented and wept over that so many times. And now I come boldly preaching the real gospel, the true gospel of righteousness, of union with Jesus. Can I just say to you, union with Jesus is the sweetest thing I know. It's where I finally come to a place where I lift up my hands and I say, Jesus, I only want you. I only want what you will give me. I will not go in my own strength and my own power and try to create something. I know what would happen if I did. Jesus would not put up with it now. I've come too far down this road. If I try to go out and create something for myself, I'm going to get kicked in the teeth. And frankly, after you've been kicked enough times, you finally catch on and say, oh, I better stop doing that because I want union with Jesus. I want to read this passage for you. I'm going to skip some and read some. John, the 15th chapter, Jesus says, I am the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts it off, and every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes it that it may bear more fruit. What, what's the fruit? The fruit is righteousness, innocence, the gifts of the Spirit, or the gift of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. If you're not bearing the fruit of righteousness you will be cut off and you will simply be a religious person with no life. You will not have union with Jesus. Verse 4, you must remain in union with me and I with you. You notice it's not just you remaining in union with Jesus, but when you're in union with him, he's in union with you. Just as the branch is not able to bear fruit from itself, If it may not remain in the vine, so neither can you. If you may not remain in union with me. In other words, righteousness does not come by my willpower. Righteousness does not come by my going through some exercise of self-improvement. It comes through total surrender to Jesus Christ. It comes as I give up my life. (laughs) 
to Jesus. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, the one remaining in union with me and I with him. This one bears much fruit, because apart from me you are not able to do anything. If anyone may not remain in union with me, he has he's thrown out, dried up. And he says, gather them up and throw them in the fire. And they're burned. Now, verse 7 is what I really wanted to share with you. I just needed to give you a background. <clears throat> Pardon me. If you remain in union with me and my rhema, that is his revelation to you. If my rhema, my revelation may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire and it will happen for you. By this, my Father was glorified that you may bear much fruit and you will prove to be my disciples. Then again, verse 10. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love. So there are commandments that I'm going to have to keep. There's a condition that I must meet if I am to remain in union with Jesus Christ and he in union with me. Verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Your fruit must remain. Your fruit may remain that whatever you may ask the Father in my name, I may give to you. I command these things to you, that you may love one another. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, we know from John that the disciples were already clean by the word that was spoken to them. In other words, Jesus had given the disciples what they must do if they were going to remain in Jesus. Judas did not remain in Jesus. He did not remain in union with Jesus. Instead, he rose up in rebellion against Jesus and was cast out and will be burned in hell. He was utterly cut off. Part of what I have asked myself What must I do? How am I to walk? Well, let's look at a couple of other scriptures quickly. There's so many we need to look at. And I'm going to be talking about this again tomorrow. But I want to take you to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Now, 
you are going to have to set your heart to seek Jesus, or you will not find him. You will find religion. You will find self-improvement. But you will not find Jesus. And so what was the word that Jesus spoke that caused his disciples to be cleansed? Well, clearly, it began with the Sermon on the Mount. It was to his disciples. It was to begin to introduce them to the school of the Holy Spirit. If you are not enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be made righteous. We're going to be speaking much about this in the coming days. He opens the Sermon on the Mount by saying, in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit are those who have finally recognized their desperate sinful condition and have been willing to face it. I hesitate to say this, but many of you listening to this broadcast have never truly faced the true condition of your heart. You've been distracted by work responsibilities. You've been distracted by carrying on the responsibilities of everyday life. You've been distracted by your entertainment. You've been distracted by other people. And so you've never really considered what it would mean completely to be obedient to Jesus. When we come to Jesus and we begin to look at ourselves and we look at Jesus, we immediately see where we are walking in rebellion against him. And that sin cannot be covered up. It has to be removed. And so those coming, the second beatitude, blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. In other words, when you begin to really look at the sin of your heart, all you can do is weep before him. Well, what evokes those strong feelings? I cannot suddenly just tell myself, feel bad and start to cry, Ray. Maybe a, an actor can, but I can't. My emotions are stirred by other realities. As I begin to see the reality and the impact on my life stirs my emotions. Mourning is, a, is an emotional response to how desperate my situation is before God. And if you are comforting yourself with the lying words of the modern church that your sin is covered, and when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the true spiritual condition. <clears throat> Instead, he sees himself. You will avoid the strong emotional response 
that would cause you to weep before him. Now, frankly, most of us will do almost anything we have to do to avoid a strong emotional response. It's just too painful. But until we're willing to get down on our face in the dust, until we're willing to get down before an almighty God and do business with him, there will be no sense in our heart that we need to mourn or weep. I asked some precious friends recently, when was the last time you cried? Some haven't cried in years. They have built a very hard, protective armor around their heart. They don't look at their inner life. They only look at what's happening in the outside world, their job, their religious practices. They are terrified of what they might find if they looked in their heart. And so there is no need of mourning or weeping. And so they are not ever comforted by the righteousness of Jesus. And blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. That's the third beatitude. But if you don't recognize the poverty of your spirit and your need for Jesus and you never experience the need to weep and cry before God over your heart condition, then you'll always be imbibing in pride and arrogance, thinking you're fine, judging others, gossiping, turning away from the Holy Spirit as he calls you, being extremely religious, knowing the truth, but not knowing Jesus Christ. And then you're never going to have the next beatitude. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You don't sense your need to hunger after righteousness. You don't need to pray, open the gates of righteous, righteousness for me, O God. If you, th if you already think you're righteous... if you have no mourning in your soul for the wickedness you see in your heart, if you are still filled with pride and arrogance, self-righteousness, you will never hunger for righteousness. Now as Jesus begins this sermon, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt may become tasteless, by what will it be made salty? It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. What's he saying? He's saying that if you have not recognized the poverty of your heart, if you have not spent time weeping before God, if the emotions of 
of your heart have never been triggered, it's because you've never looked fully in the face of Jesus. You've looked in the theology, but you've never looked into Jesus' face and confronted there the arrogance of your heart, the hardness of your heart. I hear people say, I will never do this or that. I will never do that. I will never change. I am who I am. Don't bother me, Pastor. This one woman said to me, I'm a pagan. I'm never going to accept Jesus. I don't like who Jesus is, she said. Breaks my heart. Until we're willing to become poor without any ability to help ourselves, we're not going to humble our heart and weep before God. And a person who has never wept before God or a person who has become proud and arrogant, they're tasteless. If you put salt on your tongue, it will bite you, right? If you put a real Christian to the taste, it will bite you. Does your pastor have bite? Does your church have bite? Is their standard of righteousness lifted up against the world, against the flesh, against the devil? Is there a confrontation with you and righteousness? Is there bite in what you hear? Do you listen to sermon after sermon and they roll over you like a pleasant stream with no bite, comforting you in your wickedness, salving your conscience? Lying to you, telling you that you're okay. My dear brother and sister, there must be now in America a new beginning of obedience to God. There must be a deep repentance. There must be a breaking down of your heart. There must be an honest decision to forsake your sin once and for all. Now, what is sin? Sin is not a mistake. Sin is a voluntary action on your part to stand against the God of heaven, to do what you want to do, to have what you want to have, irregardless of what God has said about it, irregardless of what the scriptures say about it. You want what you want. One woman confessed to me that she had committed fornication. And I said to her, what you have done is unclean. What you have chosen 
is to go after an unclean lover. And you have made yourself unclean. And she got very angry with me and said to me, you have no right to judge me. I said, oh, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you the truth of Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to turn away from your fornication. But I love him, and I want him. And so because she loves him and wants him, she justifies her sin. And in justifying her sin, she has lifted up her fist against the Most High God. There's no way to sugarcoat this. You can believe that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees himself. It's a lie. When he sees you, he sees the true behavior of your heart. He sees that you have not broken down your heart. You have not forsaken your sin. He says, you are the the light of the world. A city built on a mountain cannot be concealed. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bucket, but upon the lampstand, and it gives light to all the ones in the house. So you must let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and may glorify your Father in heaven. But that's not without that's not without consequence. I want to thank all of you who have written to me in the last months. I particularly want to thank you who have just written to me now with testimonies. And I want to read this to you. I won't give you her last name, but her first name is Lori. She writes, I've been wanting to write you a long letter to tell you my testimony and story. I can't begin to tell you how much your radio programs are speaking to me so strongly, more than anything else. This is exactly what I've needed all my life, but especially at the place I'm at now in the long journey with Christ. It's exactly like Pilgrim's Progress. I want to go to your church, but I've been stopped in everything. I've been experiencing heart problems trouble, trouble breathing, my lungs. I've never experienced such strong waves of attacks. feels like I'm being attacked. I've decided to go to the hospital tonight because I've been trying to resist and pray through this and ask my church and of people to pray for me, but it, it feels like some... Something has a death grip on me. I feel dizzy. My uncle came to visit at Thanksgiving, and he shot me with bullets, it felt like, with his words. And he said, someone has put a death threat on you. But I think it was him, because he has so much anger and hatred toward me. Ever since I started living for Jesus 20 years ago, boldly sharing my faith with everyone 
God has changed every area of my life with repentance, bringing me to a life of purity. All I hunger for is His holiness, His presence, His righteousness, and to be where He is. That's why the only thing that I long to hear is your messages. You speak the truth loudly. It's exactly what Jesus has been teaching me all these years. I live in a family that doesn't believe. I'm 43, never married or had children. I hope I can share more another time. But I'm on my way to the hospital now because something is terribly wrong. My lungs. I can't breathe. Please pray for me. Thank you so much. And I, I want to just take a moment. Would you pray with me for Lori? My heart rejoiced when I read her letter. She's going through such anguish and pain in her body. And yes, there has been a curse of death spoken against her because all she desires is to be righteous and holy. All she desires is Jesus. She's sold out. She's a bold testimony. I praise God for Lori. She didn't give a telephone number. I don't know how to reach her. Lori, if you're listening, please let me know how to reach you. I'd like to talk with you in person. But please... Would you join together with me right now to pray for Lori? And I'm going to give you my phone number in studio, 877-534-0780. If you would like to call and pray on air for Lori, or if you would like to be prayed for as well, if you know there's a curse against your life, if you know that you have to have a new beginning of obedience to God, then call and I'll pray with you. 877-534-0780 Now let's pray. Almighty God, I lift Lori before you today in the name of Jesus and by his precious blood. And I ask in agreement with my brothers and sisters who are praying with me right now, that the curse of death would be reversed over Lori's life. I pray that right now, wherever she is, at home or in the hospital, I pray that this curse of death will be removed now in the name of Jesus. I speak to this curse and I say, be returned to the one who sent it. Satan, you have no authority over Lori's life. She is washed in the blood. She has been cleansed by the blood. She has determined to walk completely in obedience to the Lord God of heaven. I command you in the name of Jesus, leave her alone. And Lord, right now we just speak healing into Lori's lungs and into her heart. We ask that she be restored completely right now as we all together lift her up before you. Lord, thank you. 
You are not a God whose arm is too short. You are a God of great power and great mercy and great compassion. And I pray, Lord, right now for Lori, a finished work of healing in the name of Jesus right now. I stand by faith it's happening right now as we are praying together. Lord, bring forth a powerful testimony of healing and restoration and joy in you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Our phone number is 877 534 If you'd like to call and pray, you're welcome to. Or if you need prayer, if you know you need a new beginning of obedience to Jesus, if you know that you need to be given the gift of deep repentance and a breaking down of your heart, if you need the conviction of God upon your heart, you're tired of the games, then call me right now, and I'll pray for you. Let the name of Jesus be lifted up. We have a few minutes, and I'll pray for you. Mr. Producer, that song we opened with, let's play it again. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away
just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. Listening to this preaching is very dangerous to your soul. Because if your heart is hard and you let this word just blow by you, it will only make your heart harder. There is action that you must take on your part. You must honestly and carefully look at your life. Are you walking with Jesus in every area, or are you walking with the devil? Are you self-sufficient? Are you given to your own sense of right and wrong? Then this preaching will be very dangerous for you. And what I say to you will just pass by you, and you'll go on living the life you've always lived. But if you want to break up the hardness of your heart, you must begin by looking very carefully at your actual behavior, your thoughts, your ways. You see, there must be a deep sense, a deep conviction of your own depravity, of your own wickedness. And there must be an upwelling in your heart of entire devotion to Jesus so that you are on fire for him. You must exercise simple and direct faith, believing that Jesus can make you righteous and remove from you every bondage of sin. How are you going to choose to walk? Will you start today a new beginning of obedience to God by the power of His Spirit? This, this walk cannot be, cannot be fulfilled by the law Righteousness under Jesus does not come by the law. It comes by grace. But it does come in total and complete obedience to Jesus as he makes us righteous, innocent. Pursuing Jesus must become for you the chief focus of of your life or your situation 
is hopeless. Now, we're out of time today. I want to invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You will find sermons there that will convict your heart and the arrows of the Holy Spirit will pierce you. Don't go to enjoy sermons. Go to be transformed, convicted, and changed into the likeness of Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I want so much for you. A new beginning of obedience to God. I'll talk to you soon. Great joy with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.